Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. What is up? You are listening to the Market Pulse podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. You're listening to episode 61 of the podcast and there's a fair bit to get through uh, on this episode. Uh, we're also entering a, a fair bit of a, I guess, a busy time on the market. Um, there's a fair bit of earnings news coming out of the US, like their quarterly earnings at the moment. And Australia is about to go into their um, earnings and reporting season, I guess is what you call it, um, for the full financial year. Um, and that really kind of, I mean, there's been a little bit of it so far, but that really kind of kicks off next week and then goes for the next sort of maybe three-ish weeks. So that will certainly take up the bulk of an, uh, of the attention over the coming weeks and probably the you know the bulk of the content on what we talk about on this podcast in the next couple episodes so look out for that one this week we're going to talk about a little bit of macro stuff as well as uh, some Australian stuff and some US company um, news which I found interesting but we'll start off with how the markets went last week so last week the ASX 200 was it wasn't I mean, it was basically more or less flat. It was technically down 0.02%, but let's just let's just say flat and and make no no sigh or or cheer for that one. Just just flat. The S and P five hundred wasn't that much worse. It was down 0.37%. The Nasdaq down one point one one percent last week. And I'm recording this on Tuesday, the 3rd of August, uh, for reference, so the week prior to that. So the macro stuff, we're going to stay focused on Australia, uh, and the situation in Australia has changed a fair bit in the last couple of weeks, at least since the last uh, podcast episode. I'll probably get to the COVID stuff in just a second, but I want to talk about inflation because uh, there's some interesting bits there uh, in regards to Australian inflation figures because they came out from the ABS uh, last week. And I guess some key figures on this. So the consumer price index CPI rose 0.8% in the June quarter. So April, May, June, that quarter. Um, if you take an annual look at inflation, so the annualized um, or annual up until June quarter, it was up 3.8% across that 12-month period. Uh, you might remember, I wouldn't expect you to remember, but you might remember that annual inflation to the end of the March quarter was 1.1%, so now it's jumped uh, higher. It's up now up to 3.8% across 12 months to the June quarter. And if you measure the trimmed mean, which is another figure that the ABS releases uh, about inflation, it's not as much as a headline grabber, of course, but the trimmed mean figure came in at 1.6% annually. And it's, it's worth that's the one that's worth paying attention to as well. Uh, and that's currently sitting below... What the you know the current what's been quite for a long time now the Reserve Bank's uh, preference to have it sitting between two and three percent. Uh, but what does the trimmed mean mean? What does the mean mean? Uh, effectively, so the trimmed mean is is a measure that removes or trims rather uh, particular items or measure uh, yeah basically particular subjects or items that might be volatile, especially for like a short period of time or be seasonal in their timing uh, in that they've you know reduced or increased or significantly reduced or increased 
in price affecting inflation data. So a good example is fuel prices. Uh, you know, last year, as you recall, the oil price globally collapsed, um, effectively due to a complete stop of economic activity. You know, less vehicles going around, no planes flying, no travel, not much, not as much. I was going to say not much freight, but it depends if you work for Amazon or not. Uh, we saw crazy drops in the prices of, you know, just a barrel of oil. Now, if you're looking at uh, one way to measure oil prices, uh, like one that you'll commonly see referred to as WTI, uh, which stands for West Texas Intermediate, which is, uh, I guess, think of it like the primary benchmark for North American oil, so oil coming out of the US and Canada. Uh, this has now jumped up to be higher now in price per barrel of oil than before the pandemic just started. And, you know, that makes sense in this, uh, you know, we've talked about economies reopening, travel resuming, demands increased, and that oil price also flows into the fuel prices that we pay at the pump. So if the ABS goes to look at inflation and notes that a specific measure has jumped, which may be a short-term shock, or maybe it's fallen, which also might be a short-term shock. So I say the oil price falling because of the slowdown in the economy last year, or maybe particular fruits um, jump up in price because, and this has happened um, in Australia, probably the most famous examples are the, the when ABS measures fruit and the impact that banana prices have if there's been like a cyclone in Australia, that's, you know, smashed farms and, you know, just hit the amount of supply of bananas and their price jumps up. Um, the ABS doesn't ignore that, but the trimmed mean um, would only look at the weighted average of the middle 70% of all the items in the consumer price index. And it trims off the volatile items that skew the results up or down a bit too dramatically. So on either end of that 70%. So if you go into the uh, ABS data for the quarter that just ended. You can have a look at the breakdown of categories that make up CPI or the consumer price index. And just think of the consumer price index as a big basket that's full of things that are household expenditure related. A big jump was transport. And if you go into that specifically, they say that automotive fuel rose 6.5%. Uh, they state due to uh, continued recovery in global oil prices following the lockdowns. And they say fuel prices have surpassed pre-pandemic March 2020 quarter price levels. Uh, in the same category, in transport, they also say motor vehicles are up 2.2%, uh, continued strength in consumer demand, uh, but that's coupled with supply constraints uh, for vehicles. And one reason being the global semiconductor shortage, which we've spoken about on the podcast already. Another one they note is furniture due to demand for timber and supply constraints for timber itself, which is um, something we've also spoken about. And these ones are interesting. So vegetables up 5.5%, fruit up 4.7%. Uh, the ABS state here that both rose due to a shortage of pickers, extreme rainfall on the east coast of Australia, and cyclone Naran affecting banana crop yields. That's what we just spoke about. There you go. So that's kind of the impacts that a potential picker shortage is you know, likely not being helped by the fact that we're operating Fortress Australia, so our borders are completely closed to any you know, migrant workers that might be coming or wanting to come into the country. 
and of course a storm can um, you know really impact the yields on crops and cause shortages in supply. So there's a there's an idea of how that stuff uh, can change in the actual CPI data. If you're ever interested, you go on the ABS, you can have a look at and you can break it down into all the different categories and see uh, what they're referring to. Another one they mentioned is how uh, takeaway fast foods and restaurant meals had fallen, but they contribute this to the fact that both in New South Wales and Melbourne, they've had these, um, you know, the, gov- the state governments there have created these voucher schemes because they've wanted to, you know, encourage people to get out and, you know, buy uh, rest- buy from restaurants in their local area in Sydney or Melbourne or wherever it is. And um, given that, those vouchers kind of offset the out-of-pocket expenses for the consumer because they're uh, using these government vouchers. So that's interesting. Now, the other thing that's worth touching on is just the changes that have occurred in Australia over the last couple of weeks in regards to the Delta variant and that's impact on uh, economic outlook and the markets. Although, you know, overall, not talking about specific stocks, but overall the market seems relatively unfazed. I'm pretty sure today the ASX hit a record high. So uh, again, investors maybe not ignoring is maybe not, is, is not the best way to describe it, but looking past this, um, these current lockdowns, but it has had an impact on what you know economists um, and speakers think of you know the outlook, you know, both in terms of you know, interest rates and economic growth. And we talked about how some of the banks have uh, set their their estimates on you know what's going to happen to the unemployment rate, um, and that's changed quite significantly because New South Wales, being I'm guessing it's the biggest economy out of you know state by state in the country. Uh, you know, very much locked down at the moment. Um, Queensland more recently, uh, at least most of southeast Queensland has gone into lockdown. Uh, Melbourne's had a bit of a lockdown recently as well. So, you know, these are pretty big economies and they're going to have an overall impact on uh, GDP figures when they do eventually come out. So Commonwealth Bank, for example, they've changed their estimates. They're saying that the economy will shrink 2.7% this quarter. They've also changed their mind on when exactly they think uh, interest rates are going to pick up. They were originally calling sort of late 2022. Now they're thinking it's uh, mid 2023. Another quote here, this is from Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg economics uh, say, we remain of the view that the RBA is unlikely to lift rates until 2024. So they think uh, even further out. Uh, and Westpac have changed theirs as well. So they forecast the economy would contract by 2.2%. So not as pessimistic as Commonwealth Bank who think that this quarter will contract by 2.7%. Westpac saying 2.2%, but they are also saying that there will be Westpac saying job losses as well. So that's uh, yeah, definitely one of the other things to note uh, from a macro perspective. It's hard to really say what's going to happen because we're kind of still in the middle of it or maybe we're at the start of it, who knows? Uh, and it's going to ultimately come down to the effectiveness of lockdowns, uh, how quickly we can pick up vaccination efforts. Uh, So in terms of its impact on the market, I think that's just a big question mark at the moment. I'm sure it probably definitely makes you nervous if you're invested uh, in the travel sector because it's certainly having a negative impact there. Uh, But I kind of get why the market kind of wants to look past it because I guess there's a relatively optimistic outlook that after the end of this, things will hopefully go back to some sort of normal. But 
unfortunately, I just kind of think it's a bit of a wait and see at the moment. And yeah, what's interesting to me is how there's been a market impact on the ones or the particular companies which did perform quite well during last year, especially during the lockdown periods. I'm going to talk about one of them later in the podcast, uh, which is Temple and Webster. Before we do that, uh, we're going to touch on some US earnings news because there was a couple of big companies which, and one of them related to the news we were just talking about. Um, we're going to talk quickly on you know some of the results that came out of Apple. We're going to talk about Tesla. And we're also going to talk about the business of vaccinations and look at the Pfizer earning results because, as you can imagine, they've had a pretty good year. So that's coming up. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about some Australian companies, like I said, Temple and Webster. And there was some big news about a merger between you know, probably Australia's favorite buy now, pay later and a massive company out of the US square. And we're going to touch on that one to end the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to touch on this one quickly just because I'm, I'm not too like familiar with this company um, from an investing point of view um, or markets point of view. But it's, it's one of those companies that's become a household name, of course, over the last 12 months. And I'm talking about Pfizer, which they came to the market last, yeah, it was July 28th. So last week, yeah. And uh, they posted their quarterly update for Q2 in the, in the financial year. And yeah, inter interesting results. Like I said, it helps to be in the business of vaccinations at the moment. Um, one of the key points here to point out, so revenue for Pfizer almost doubled year on year. So it was not quite double, but it was up 92.4% to $19 billion, um, which beat expectations of what the market was expecting there. So almost doubled their revenue off that one. They state that they've actually delivered uh, 1 billion doses of the COVID-19 vaccine as well. It's also important, I, I was reading uh, an article here on their earnings uh, from Investopedia and they point out that their Pfizer's business it completely excluding the COVID-19 uh, vaccine so if you just remove that and just focus on their other parts of their business that has actually achieved 10% year-on-year operational revenue growth uh, which is a good sign which means like that, that it's not like they're just completely getting carried by uh, the pandemic and the vaccine uh, their other parts of their business are healthy as well which I imagine gives you a bit of confidence if you're a shareholder it's just the fact, the sheer fact that they've been able to double their revenue and the impact that vaccine sales would have had on that number, incredible. The, uh, the company itself trades on the New York Stock Exchange, currently uh, about $45 US dollars per share. Uh, over across a 12-month period, they are up 25.6%. Okay, and now here's um, one that you know, really blew it out of the water. And just for a full disclosure, I actually own shares in this company. And that's just Apple. Now, not that people thought they were going to, you know, not do well or anything like this, but they they really sort of smashed it out of the water across, you know, many parts of the business. And this is a company that's, you know, there's a couple trends that's been in their favor as of late. So there's the the general sort of upgrade trend between 4G to 5G devices in the world at the moment over the last year or so, you know, not just impacting Apple, but of course the major uh, phone providers. 
Uh, there's the fact that the pandemic occurred and it, of course, increased the work from home scenario and you know people started to pick up and buying Macs and iPads and all that kind of stuff that they might be using at home. So they've definitely seen a pickup in those business. Their wearables business continues to go from strength to strength. But quoting some actual figures here, so Apple sales were up 36% compared to the June quarter last year. This is from CNBC and iPhone sales increased nearly 50% on an annual basis, 50%. Their particular, this is the kind of behemoth that they are. So uh, revenue from the iPhone was 39.57%. And like I said, it was basically up 50% year on year on an annual basis. Uh, Mac revenue was $8.24 billion, which is up 16% year over year. iPad revenue, $7.37 billion, up 12% year over year. So as you can see from that, um, the iPhone being close to $40 billion, you know, much bigger segment of their overall revenue compared to say Macs and iPads. But yeah, like, but also they're benefiting from the fact that they're in a bit of an upgrade cycle with that switch from 4G to 5G handsets. So yeah, but overall, a very strong picture. Just quoting CNBC talking here about the earnings result. They say Apple's quarter ending in June is typically one of its slowest of the year. You know, generally with a company like this, you might see the quarter more closer to around the end of the year, like especially around Christmas um, being quite strong for a company like Apple. CNBC going on to say that the company has benefited from work at home, uh, remote schooling trends, which is another one, but uh, which has boosted sales of its premium computers. The other one that's probably in the upgrade cycle as well is the fact that they have created this M1 chip uh, in their products and that's causing an upgrade cycle in both their Macs and iPads. Uh, and then on the, the point of this global chip shortage, which is you know, affected the car industry as well. Their CEO, Tim Cook, they said that that primarily hit their Mac and iPad products. Um, they actually think that their quarter that they just had, which was an extremely good quarter, would have actually been a little bit better if it hasn't, hadn't been due to, um, or sort of they haven't had to deal with the supply shortages with chips. And probably the thing that annoys people about uh, Apple, or at least in this, this over the last 12 months is, Given that, given that there's still this sort of ongoing uh, potential you know, supply issue with chips and given that there's still the pandemic playing out across the world, um, they've not given any guidance and they haven't given any guidance pretty much since the start of the, the pandemic. And guidance is basically what they anticipate from a business point of view and their financials point of view, what they expect to be doing over the next quarter or the next six months next year. Uh, and they've kind of stopped doing that, which is not a pretty common thing across companies, but some companies have started to bring it back now, but that's probably the only thing worth pointing. That doesn't really bother me. Like the way I sort of, and like the reason I'm a shareholder of Apple is not because I'm looking out for their quarter by quarter um, guidance. It's my you know, mentality is definitely one more of a long-term and the strength of this business long-term. Uh, so that doesn't really bother me. It really kind of bothers like analysts who jump on the calls with like the CEO and the chief financial officer and stuff and they're wanting to you know, understand what Apple's going to be up to so they can plug it into their spreadsheets and, and spit out a uh, price target uh, for their customers. But uh, that's probably the only thing worth mentioning that they haven't actually given any guidance. But again, I mean, if you're in it for the long term, that probably doesn't bother you too much, especially considering the kind of numbers they're putting out uh, in the quarter that just ended. 
And the last one I'm going to just quickly mention out of the US was Tesla because they actually had a pretty big bump in their share price when they actually brought out the news of their quarterly earnings. What the the figure that people like to focus on with this company is, you know, how profitable they are in these quarters and their net income for the quarter. So for Q2 2021, they actually reported for the first time over a billion dollars quarter in net income. Um, but And that's the biggest quarterly net income they've ever announced. So really over the last, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So about the eight, last eight quarters in a row, they have recorded profitability in their net income for their quarters. So from that point of view, from that perspective, the outlook for Tesla is positive and continuing to be positive. They're still experiencing, just like Apple, um, issues in regards to the production of cars due to chip shortages, which all the car companies are experiencing at the moment. You know, probably the other thing worth uh, mentioning here is Tesla's gross margins, which also increased, and that's a good sign as well for investors. So their gross margins were 28.4%, and that's higher than in any of the last four quarters here, according to CNBC. And basically think of gross margins as, you know, the sales revenue that the company actually gets to keep after you sort of take away the actual costs associated, you know, in, in actually making and manufacturing that car that it's sold. So it's what it gets to keep after that, after its um after its expenses in making the car. So yeah, if that was something that was flat or decreasing yeah, that would be a bit more of a concern. But the fact that that has also gone up is another good sign. Also flags some issues with the company in regards to recalls and consumer backlash in China, which is obviously a concern considering the growth of that market there for the company. But I will be interested to keep seeing how their actual new rollout of new vehicles go. The one that's like a hybrid Sorry, not a hybrid, but it's, it's like a mix between a Model S and a Model X, like the Model X being their full drive or SUV one. Uh, they've got one that's coming out that's like a small SUV that I think will do pretty well. And just other interesting ways that they've, they're looking at making money from their technology. They talked about things like, because they've got quite a good network of these superchargers around, say, the US uh, for Tesla vehicles, but actually just almost like renting them out so that any because you know, there's more car manufacturers coming into the market with electric vehicles, uh, renting them out in a way that uh, any kind of car could pull up and you know pay a fee, so to speak, to also charge whatever their vehicle is. And there's probably a bit of like interesting subliminal marketing going on there because maybe that'll help convert that customer over to Tesla one day. But yeah, just those kind of things are, are really interesting there for the company. Okay, jumping back home, we're going to quickly talk about Temple and Webster, which had a cracker of a 2020 thanks to the pandemic. Um, well, they were like very much well positioned for it. They are a online retailer in anything like homeware goods and furniture. Um, and yeah, they've really, you know, especially just really in the last 18 months, just smashed it out of the park and continue to smash it out of the park. They actually released their full financial year results to 30th June 2021 the other day on the 27th of July. Uh, a couple figures here to note. Their full year revenue is up 85% uh, to $326 million. Their active customers have grown uh, by 62%. 
And then they note also in their report that actual revenue per active customer increased 12, 12% over the year. So they're, they're trying to pin down there on the fact that they've got customers making or specific customers making repeat purchases or spending more on the business. And I shouldn't say that um, you know, this company is only benef- benefiting from you know, COVID-19 and the changes that we've seen in relation to that and, and lockdowns um, because it's, it's, it's also a just a, a broader change in the retailing business, you know, the fact that you don't have to go to the shop, like a physical shop like a Harvey Norman to actually get furniture. You know, you can have it delivered to your door. It's the same kind of scenarios happening with, you know, global e-commerce firms like Amazon and then happening with other ones here in Australia like Kogan. But their results weren't just about the year that was. They've said they've kicked off the financial year even though we're only about a month in already on strong footing there i think it was like up 34% no no not 34 they said up 39% in revenue growth just across the uh the the start of the current financial year as it is so they're already kicking goals into the new financial year quite an exciting company temple and webster i think uh, not one that i've invested in so it's not advice uh their share price now is sitting around about $12.39 over the last year they're up about 55% on the market they've actually been higher than this though so they've been up to their high in the last year was about $14 Australian dollars so they're still sitting a little bit under their high but a company that's very much priced for growth and and price price for an exciting future and, and definitely one to to keep an eye on and finally the last one we're going to talk about is our buy now pay later sector the darling of this sector after pay on Monday this week actually I was going to release this podcast earlier, but I had some technical issues and thankfully I kind of did in that sense because I wouldn't have actually been able to speak about this because I would have released it just before. But this is certainly dominating the headlines this week um, from a market's point of view. And that is the fact that Square out of the US, Square Inc., they are acquiring and they've gone into talks uh, to acquire Afterpay uh, and they're going to acquire all the shares in Afterpay. And the valuation that they're paying for is an implied value of 39 Australian billion dollars. And based on that valuation, from a per share point of view, that value is after paid about $126 per share, which it immediately jumped to when the news came out. It was trading around the $100 mark when this news announced, and then now it's um, jumped up to $126. Uh, and 67 cents as of of today. There's a couple of interesting things that are a bit different to, you know, we've talked about uh, moments of uh, takeover offers and things and and how that impacts the share price straight away of the the company. This one's a little bit different in that they're not actually paying for cash or sorry, paying with cash rather for Afterpay. Square is going to issue new Square shares to pay so Afterpay shareholders. So if you're an Afterpay shareholder and and you're holding through um, this acquisition, you're going to receive uh, shares in Square. I was reading here in a a different article on the conversation about the acquisition and it's actually the biggest ever in Australian corporate history uh, acquisition. The the last really big one to note was when uh, European firm Unibail Redamco actually paid 
or the equivalent of Australian $32 billion for Westfield uh, back in 2017. But if you're wondering a little bit about what or who Square is, probably the first thing to note is it's a company actually created by Jack Dorsey. And if that name potentially rings a bell, that's because Jack Dorsey, so whilst being the CEO of Square, he's actually the founder and head of Twitter as well. So he's an entrepreneur who created Twitter. Uh, Square is a very different company to Twitter. It's um, a payments and uh, digital payments and uh, credit card payments uh, firm. You're probably most familiar, I would say, with them just in your day-to-day experience um, in the shops because as the name kind of suggests, they have for merchant terminals these little white squares that uh, say like your local coffee shop or if you go to the markets, those, you know, they have bigger ones than this too, but if you ever notice those little white squares that you go to pay for something on, like you pay for your morning coffee or you go to the markets and, and, and buy some vegetables, they'll often be using Square product, mainly because from a, a merchant point of view, uh, Square has a very competitive price offering uh, compared to the big banks here in Australia. Now, both these companies basically kind of see this as a way to you know, further strengthen and continue the growth in both their respective brands, um, you know, Square and Afterpay, and actually merge their technologies and offerings uh, together especially from, you know, we talk about Square being uh, aligned to merchants as well. So, you know, you can imagine a scenario where the merchant that's using the Square terminal can easily offer the the payment style of, of what Afterpay offers to customers that rock up to buy something from that merchant. Um, but it's just, just huge news um, for, you know, what's really been one of the, the most popular and, you know, arguably one of the most talked about stocks in the ASX for the last few years. You know, this is a company that definitely had some non-believers. I know I used to be quite um, hesitant to jump on the Afterpay train, more or less to say, back in the day. And I, I never did actually buy Afterpay shares. God, that sucks, doesn't it? I wish I did. That would have been good. I should have... <laughs> Imagine if you bought Afterpay at like eight bucks and you're getting bought out for $126. Well, if that's you, if you're listening and, and that is something you did, then then good on you because... This is a huge announcement. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this is Square, um, which is a New York Stock Exchange listed company. Based on this acquisition, they're going to list or like at least dual list the, their company on the ASX. So you'll see Square on the ASX. Uh, they're not going to be normal shares. They're not going to be like normal Square shares that are trading on the ASX. They're going to be these things called uh, CDIs or chest depository interests, which sort of represent um, shares of or an interest in uh, Square. Uh, ResMed's another company on the ASX currently that has a similar style setup, but I'm not going to go too much into that now. But yeah, just massive news. And you know, if you're an Afterpay shareholder and you're laughing, then then good on you because this is this is a this is a big moment for the company, I'm sure, and a, a really big moment for the market and shareholders. And if you're wondering if it's too late to get on board then yes, it is too late. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you if you want to get onto the board of the company now, yeah, like, that's not too late. Um, it means that when the acquisition goes over, you'll you'll grab some square shares um, out of it. So I'd be, you know, thinking that uh, you want to make sure that that's something you want in your portfolio. But yeah, pretty excited to see the the, the future of this company and and the, and the future. Of, I mean, buy now, pay later, because it definitely a company like this acquiring Afterpay at um, at, a, at a decent premium too. 
certainly c- continues to lend a lot of credibility to this industry and this corner of the market. You know, what it's really done since the news came out over the last few days is bumped the share price up of all the other buy now, pay laters in Australia because as you can imagine, perhaps there's some interest in those companies now that Afterpay has been acquired already or are going to be acquired. Um, maybe people expecting that others are going to get snapped up by some big firms like a Square, you know, some big payment companies or banks. And so that'll be something to uh, worth looking at as well. But that is it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was a bit of a long one. Thanks for sticking along. As always, if you have questions, you can shoot them through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any comments or feedback, you can shoot it through to there. Uh, Like I said, uh, it's going to be a pretty busy week or weeks on the market with earnings season here in Australia. So we'll continue to check in on some of the more interesting things out of that. And I'll also probably pull some US earnings news that tickles my fancy, so to speak, as well. Uh, But I hope you're having a good week. If you're in lockdown, stay safe. Uh, say sane as we always say and thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I'll see you in episode 62 cheers